You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Russell Wilson has said that Jesus came to him in a dream. He tells this story in a recent documentary that's been produced out there at CBS. It's called Making of a Champion. Russell Wilson, of course, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. He says when he was 14 years old, Jesus came to him in a dream. He had this dream that his father was dying. And Jesus stepped into the room and said to him, I want you to know me. And his 14-year-old boy went to church the next Sunday and gave his life to Jesus Christ. It was a dream that would matter to Russell because um, six years later, his father would die. And Jesus had prepared him for hardship. And even more than that, Jesus had prepared him to know himself. All this reminds me of Joseph in the Old Testament. He's a guy to whom God kept coming in dreams. Joseph was 17 years old when he was just a boy. God came to him in a dream. He had a dream of a healed home and being restored to that home, which is a hard dream to envision given the brokenness of that family. He was given a dream that one day he would be a champion himself. Joseph would learn that dreaming can be dangerous. Dreaming that dream would land him in prison. And while he's in prison, he'd meet two fellows, both from the royal court. One would be the official cupbearer who dreamed a dream, and it was a sweet dream that he would someday be back where he belonged. And then the the official baker, the, the king, who dreamed a nightmare and lost his life as a result of that dream. Dreaming uh, can be dangerous. Stephen Golpair spoke about dreams recently. He was giving the commencement address at Northwestern University in 2011, and he looked out at the graduates and he said, whatever your dream is right now, if you don't achieve it, you haven't failed. And you're not some loser. I I like that he said that. And then he said, but just as importantly, If you do get your dream, you're not a winner. What he asked if your dream is not a good one. See, dreaming is dangerous business, and there are things out there in life that resist the things that we dream. We come up against hardships that test the quality of our dream. And the line between fantasy and nightmare is a very thin one sometimes. Advent, the word advent means coming towards. It comes from the Latin word adventus, adventus. Coming towards. This is the time of year that you and I remember that Jesus is coming towards us too. He may come to you in a dream, but I know for a fact he's come to you in a child in the middle of history, in the weakness of a manger, I know for a fact that Jesus is coming again at the end of history in the glory and splendor and strength and might of a king. And I know that now as we live between these two comings, we're an Advent people who have to wrestle with what it means to live with dreams unfulfilled and with nightmares in the dark. But what I believe this morning is that 
God is coming to meet you and to meet me on that journey, right here, wherever you are right now. And that he's calling you to be a champion. I know it doesn't seem possible, but you know, there's another word that comes from the word adventus, the, the Latin word for coming towards, and that's adventure. You're created for adventure. And as long as you keep trying to mitigate the risks and setting aside the dreams, you will never leave the, live the adventure or become the champion that you've been created to be. And this is the story of Joseph. And it's an invitation to us. So I want to ask you this morning, how did God do that in Joseph's life? And what would that look like in your life? You know, to, to make room for the one who comes. Well, I, I want to direct your attention here to the middle segment of the story. I guess we could call it Act 2 or 3. Maybe we're at Act 3. This is the third Sunday at Advent. And uh, it's the act in which Joseph hits bottom. It's the act in which Joseph is in the darkness of a dungeon. But rather than reading through that story, I want to take you to the end. It's a wonderful story to read, and I hope you'll do it on your own. But you know what? Here's the thing that's so interesting. The Hebrew uh, narrative is really spare, and you get action and drama, and you get descriptions of the dreams. But what you don't get is ever inside of Joseph's head. I mean, wouldn't you like to know what Joseph was experiencing, what it was like to go through what he was going through, what it meant to him? Well, you do get one little window in this whole story, and it's at the end. It's after he has been taken out and freed from, from jail and elevated to the Egyptian court himself now as an official. And he's, he's given an Egyptian wife, and they have children. There are two boys. And I want to tell you, you can learn a lot about someone from their children. And, and, you, and when Joseph gives those boys their names, at that moment, Joseph lets us know what he was going through. He lets us in his head. So what I want to do is I want to reflect on these two names and what, it meant, what they meant to Joseph and, uh, more importantly, what I think they can mean to us as we encounter Jesus Christ. So let's go to the end of this section and uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 through 52. It's just three verses, but here's the naming. You find that on page 34 of the Pew Bible. If you're looking at that black book in front of you, just pull that one out and turn to page 34. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together as his people. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's house. The second he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Two boys, two names. What do they tell us about dad? First one is Manasseh. It means literally making forget. Making forget. And here's Joseph's interpretation. 
God has made me forget all my hardship. I mean, we know he's had the hardship, but here we learn there's, there's a perspective shift that's occurred in, in, inside Joseph's head. He's, God has made me forget all my hardship. What we see here is a new perspective. God moves him from discouragement to hope. Now, what could this possibly mean? God has made me to forget. I mean, this guy has been through some real pain. He's been rejected and betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's been trafficked to a foreign country. He's been sexually assaulted. He's been framed and imprisoned and forgotten. Do you think for a moment Joseph can forget any of that? Do you think for a moment Joseph isn't deeply wounded by all of that? No, he, he remembers, but, but he looks at it differently now because of where he has become, where he is now. He's in the Pharaoh's court, and he's got to be scratching his head going, how in the world did a little Hebrew boy like me end up the second most powerful person in the ancient Near East? He's going, well, I can, I can look at my resume, and all I see is hardship. But man, I've got a different perspective on all of it because of what God has done in and through the hardship. Look at that. Uh, if he hadn't been a slave, then he would still be in the area worst hit by the famine, a seven-year famine. But if he had uh, not gone to prison, he would never have met the officials that become the key to his elevation. If he had not been forgotten and left there to rot, he would not be available. Time come when the Pharaoh has his own dream. So God has taken all of these hardships and he's flipped them on the head. The very thing that's been a point of pain becomes access to God's good. The harm is becoming good and we're seeing it. And now Joseph's beginning to see this is the way this God works. It's grace. And this is what's so great about the story of Joseph. I mean, I look at this guy and I go, there's no way of understanding the greatness of this champion without the reality of hardship in his life. No hardship, no Joseph. But now he doesn't see it as hardship because he sees it as grace. And, th- and this is what I'm trying to say here, that God would turn your grace, your hardship, into his blessing by grace as well. And to forget, to be forgetful, to receive this gift of forgetfulness, is to be able to put your pain in a larger perspective. The perspective of a larger God, a loving God, a gracious God. This is what Jesus wants to do. He comes to us in our deepest place of pain. He comes to us first in our place of our sinfulness and alienation from God with his grace. And we see this during his whole earthly ministry. Jesus coming alongside. He takes a prostitute and he makes her a model of love. He takes a tax collector and he makes him a leader of generosity. He takes a woman who is a Samaritan and filled with shame and turns her into a hero of renewal in her hometown. He takes the cross and he turns it into a portal to paradise for a thief. Jesus wants to do this for me and for you too. And I want you to think about whatever's going on at home right now in your life. What if that struggle in that place is exactly the place where God wants to bless you? You know, that marriage that just won't hold together, that wayward child, that insensitive sibling, that angry parent, that financial strain. What if God isn't right there in the midst of that? 
to cause good in your life. To do what Paul says. He can work together for in all things for good. Came across a story of um, Grammy Award winning songwriter, singer Laura Story. She got a Grammy last year. 28 years old, young woman and her husband are struck by tragedy. Her husband has a brain tumor. Just got married. Did not expect this major detour. And so she prays. She's a believer. And she says, God, why don't you just fix it, God? You're all powerful. You're all loving. Just fix it. But you know what? He, he, he didn't fix it. He hasn't fixed it. And one day her sister said to her, you know what? Maybe the detour is the road. Think about that. Maybe the detour is the road that God is using to get you where he wants you, to bless you. So she writes a song called Blessings. This is the one she gets the Grammy for. And the words say, um, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? See, Jesus is God with you right where you are, right where it hurts. And Joseph has come to understand this. God has made me to forget the hardship. It's all been recharacterized as grace. Oh yeah, he's got a broken heart. But he's got an unshakable faith in an absolutely reliable God who keeps every one of his promises in Jesus Christ. Do you have that perspective? You're only going to find it in Jesus Christ. You may not have a dream, but you've got something better. You've got Jesus Christ. You've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. And we have each other. Manasseh. And then there's a second boy. And Joseph says, when I look at this child, I call him Ephraim. Ephraim. And this name in Hebrew means fruitful. And here's his interpretation. He, here's what we learn about Joseph from this child. God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. I love that. I mean, I mean, put that everywhere in your house. God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. Let that sink in. Let me just, before I tell you about that, you just illustrate that a little bit. With a, uh, This week, I was reading the newspaper, and I saw um, down in Tacoma, Derek Coleman, who's also a football player, is a lineman for the Seattle Seahawks, but a big play a couple weeks ago against New Orleans. Did you know what? He's the first uh, offensive player in the NFL to be hearing impaired. Can't hear. He couldn't since he's three. He's got hearing aids inside the helmet. He reads lips from Russell Wilson to get the play. And he's down in Tacoma with school children who are hearing impaired, telling them to dream. His miseries become a gift that he can share with somebody else who needs hope. And Joseph gets this. Think of the life of Joseph. I mean, he starts off as an absolute prima donna. Everything revolves around dear Joseph, the guy with the coat, right? And he ends up as prime minister. Do you know what that means? Prime minister? This is the first servant in all of Egypt. He's learned to serve. Just as God gave him a new perspective on hardship that moves him from discouragement to hope, now God gives him a new practice. 
in the midst of misfortune that will move him from selfishness to service. It's a new practice. God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. Now, I get that wrong. I assume that God will make me fruitful beyond the land of my misfortunes. Right? Are you with me on that? You say, well, if God ever gets me out of this fix, then I might be useful to him. Right? We throw that back at him, hoping it'll motivate him somehow. <laughs> when I get out of this crisis, then I'll serve. When I get my finances together, then I'll give 10%. By the way, 10% of nothing is nothing, so you're doing great if your finances are a wreck. Uh, when I get my work life together, then I'll start having time for other people. When my family begins to function properly, then I'll have time and availability for my neighbors and their families. No, it's not beyond, it's in my misfortunes, that I am the most effective servant God could ever use or ever want. Joseph knows that no matter how bad things get, he always has a gift to give. I mean, even when he's a, he's a slave, he's in Potiphar's house, but he starts to organize. He's got this administrative gift. When he's in prison, he, he starts to wait on the other prisoners we read. He's serving them. And one day he comes in the morning and he notices two of them. Their faces are downcast. He's got empathy. Why? Because he's a prisoner too. And out of his brokenness, he understands their brokenness. And he says, what's wrong? And, and he uses his gift of interpreting dreams with them. He's just constantly serving. There's no discouragement that would keep him from serving. And you know what? If at any point in this story, Joseph stops serving, you know what happens? The story ends. Because in every link of this inconceivable chain, there's an act of service that moves Joseph, through which God moves Joseph to the next place on his way to becoming a champion. If, if Joseph stopped serving, you never, you never knew his name. He's just a bunch of bones buried in the silt of some Egyptian dungeon somewhere in the ancient Near East. But he serves. I got an email this week from a 15-year-old sophomore, Nathan Hale, one of our own. And she says this. Uh, she says, I cannot stop thinking about the recent disaster in the Philippines. My heart goes out to every person affected by the devastating typhoon. I feel so privileged to live in an area where I have not been affected by such a disaster, let alone that I've never had to worry where my next meal is coming from or if my family is safe. But I was wondering if the church had any plans to travel or do a mission trip to the Philippines. If you do, I would absolutely love to come if it's at all possible. If not, would it be possible to start the process of planning one? 15-year-old. I would love to find a way to help beyond a donation. I feel I owe it to the people that have less than I do because I did not do anything to deserve all the privileges that I have any more than they deserve to be hit by a typhoon. Gosh, she's saying, I'm not going to wait until I'm out of high school to make a difference in the world. I'm ready right now. In the midst of my misfortunes, God has made me fruitful. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ in a 15-year-old child. Jesus is God coming into our misfortunes. He's a man acquainted with sorrows. He was stricken. By his wounds, we have been healed. He came to serve, to serve us. 
It's the heart of God is revealed every time anybody serves. That's just who he is. The son of man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, Jesus says. Malcolm Gladwell just came to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you heard this news. It's, it's very interesting. Malcolm Gladwell is a guy who's made a career out of, of investigating impact. Who are the people that are making impact in the world and why? And as he's doing this recent book on David and Goliath and all of his research, he realized, oh my gosh, I've overlooked the faith of my childhood and the one person who is the greatest service, servant of all who makes the greatest impact is Jesus. He, uh, Malcolm told an interviewer, it was a revolutionary figure. And he comes from the humblest of beginnings. This is what he says. I realized what I had missed. I had a slow realization that there was something incredibly powerful and beautiful in the faith that I grew up with that I was missing. Here I was writing about people of extraordinary circumstances and it slowly dawned on me that I can have that too. See, I don't just have to write about people that are making a great impact in the world. I can be one. And, and what he's talking about is Jesus. He's the one who can make me a champion. And he does so through this practice of serving. God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. One prisoner to another. We're in the same jail, but I have hope to offer you out of my experience that I know you need as well. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the brilliant things about the whole program is the sponsor thing. My recovery is advanced as I share with you out of my pain. Do you have that practice? Is serving a part of your daily routine? Is it what you do even in the midst of your misfortune? Are you able to use your very misfortunes? Like Derek Coleman, the deafness, or whatever it is you have that hurts so much... Is that becoming for you a ministry in the lives of other people who hurt in that same way? And Jesus is ready to do that in you and through you. Well, this is what Advent is all about. It's God coming. He comes to give us these gifts of forgetfulness, think differently about all of our hardship, and fruitfulness, to have opportunity and know that you have a gift to give in the middle of your misfortunes. Right here, right now, Jesus is God with us. And it's always a surprise when you realize this and when you see it right there in front of you. Charles Wesley, he wrote the hymn, Hark the Herod Angels, saying he, he had a phrase for that he called veiled in flesh. Veiled in flesh. God is present to me, but he's veiled in flesh. I can't quite make him out. Everything looks so ordinary, so regular, and sometimes even so broken. that I don't notice that God has sent his Savior to my side and that he's in me and for me and that work through me. Well, our dreams have not yet been filled and neither have his for this creation. But the call is to live wide awake to the one we can't see, but who is right here with us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we look this morning through the eyes of faith because we see, we see brokenness. We don't see you. And yet we rely on the testimony of those who saw you with their own eyes, who touched you with their own hands, who witnessed your death and your resurrection. 
And they, with their own ears, heard your promises of faithfulness. And so on the basis of their testimony and the Holy Spirit's capacity to make that real in our lives, we say we trust you. We trust what you're doing in our lives and we reach out trusting you to take the broken places and make them whole, to take the hurt and bring healing, to take the sin and infuse us with your forgiveness. And let us receive that gift this Christmas season as people who are just as eager to share it with others. Bring to mind those around us whom we can serve today, just as you have served us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.